0: The story of White Island Evening was falling and the cicadas were singing as three strangers arrived at the taverna, all from different places, all travelling to different destinations, but they walked in the door at almost the same time, coming together in search of good food, good wine and good company for the night. A local regular was sitting at the wine bar and called them over to join him. I'll buy you each a drink in exchange for a bit of a tale from your travels, he said cheerfully. I've had a fight with the wife and I don't want to go home for a while. I'll take that offer, if you'll throw in one other thing, said the first traveller, a skinny, scrawny young man with well-muscled legs and poor eyesight. Tell me a local legend first, or point me to a local site with a story to it. I'm a travelling bard and I'm looking for inspiration for a new song. I'll leave the storytelling to you, since you're a professional, said the local. But if you're a poet, you should check out the tomb of Helen and Menelaus and the shrine to Menelaus on the other side of the river. Ask anyone you meet on the road, they can tell you where to find it. Hmm, said the poet. Well, perhaps I could take a look. But I already have a song about Helen. It's a song I'm working on at the moment. And she's not buried, here or anywhere. She was taken off to live eternal life on an island far away. <coughs> snorted the local, muttering to the barman to give this visitor the cheapest wine. Sounds like a load of rubbish to me, but why don't you tell us the story anyway? The song isn't ready yet, said the poet, but I'll give you the outline of the tale. And he cleared his throat (coughs) and began. The people of Locri from central Greece have a tradition whenever they go into battle, the poet began. "'Wait, what does this have to do with Helen?' asked the second traveller, a big, muscular man with tan skin and huge biceps. "'I'll get to it,' said the poet. "'Their patron hero in Locri is Ajax.' "'Which Ajax?' asked the local. "'The Lesser,' said the poet briefly. "'Anyway, as I was saying, "'the Locrians always leave a space in their front line "'for their patron hero, Ajax, the Lesser.' "'That's ridiculous. Who would leave a space in their front line?' Interjected the third traveller, a middle aged man with scars running across his cheekbone and another from thigh to ankle. The Locrians, that's who, exclaimed the poet. Do you want to hear this story or not? The other three refilled their wine cups and sat back quietly, and the poet continued. The Locrians were fighting a war against the Cretonians of southern Italy, the poet continued. The Cretonian general, Leonimus, saw the gap in the Locrian's front line and tried to break them by running straight to it. At that moment, the Phantom of Ajax himself appeared, short, wearing a linen corslet, but no less deadly for that. He forced his spear under Leonimus' breastplate and down went the foolish general, blood pouring from his side. Leonimus was badly hurt, but not dead. His men took him to the great oracle at Delphi, for no matter what they tried, the wound would neither heal nor did it worsen to the point of being lethal. The priestess at Delphi told Leonymus that he must travel to an island in the Euxian Sea near to the mouth of the Ister. It is thickly wooded and named White Island for the white marble and white rock to be found there. There are hardly any trees on White Island, interrupted the second traveller. And it's name for the white birds that live there, not for the rocks, added the third traveller. The poet merely glared at them until they fell silent, and he carried on. And so Leonymus made the long journey by ship to the Euxine Sea, to the mouth of the Ister, and then to White Island. When they arrived, they found the island deserted by all but a few goats, and the white birds who flutter above a sacred grove nourishing the trees with raindrops from their wings for although the trees are few he glanced at the second traveler they cluster around this sacred ground the poet looked at his audience but they remained silent and he relaxed a little and continued leonimus was helped onto the island by his attendants and his doctors and they made their way towards this grove and lo out of the trees they saw figures approaching The first two were a couple a man and a woman walking with linked arms and they were two of the most beautiful people leonymus had ever seen behind them came four warriors armored for battle and one was extraordinarily tall and a huge man in all ways and another was short but well muscled and carrying a spear the couple came forward to greet leonymus and the man introduced himself as achilles the greatest of all the greek heroes I was brought here by my divine mother Thetis after I was shot to death by the Prince of Troy, he explained. And later this woman was brought here also to be my wife, Helen. For I was never one of her suitors. I did not fight at Troy because I had sworn the oath to defend her marriage, but in order to gain eternal glory for myself. And so I, who had never asked for her hand in marriage, have been given it for time immemorial. So this is the face, said Leonimus, that launched a thousand ships and burnt the topless towers of Ilium. Indeed, although I knew nothing of any of it, said Helen, for I was always faithful to my mortal husband Menelaus and never went to Troy. It was only a shadow copy of myself that all these good men fought and died for. I was taken to safety in Egypt and never knew them. But after Menelaus' death, Poseidon brought this island up from the sea for Achilles and any companions who might join him. And as soon as I set foot on the island, I heard Achilles singing, and I saw him from afar. And I knew at that moment, when I saw his perfect chiselled marble face and heard his sweet voice, that I had found eternal happiness. All three of the poet's listeners looked at each other and made gagging faces. But the poet was enjoying himself now and carried on oblivious. Achilles introduced the other men, all warriors who had died during or as a result of their service in the great war against Troy. Patroclus, his great friend and companion. Antilochus, Greater Ajax and Lesser Ajax. Leonymus fell at Lesser Ajax's feet and clasped his knees and begged for forgiveness for rushing his place in the Locrian line in the battle. And Lesser Ajax took pity on him, and told him he was forgiven, and that his wound would be healed on one condition, that he go to the poet Stesichorus at Himera, and tell him that Helen has caused his blindness because of the insulting poem he wrote about her, and that it would be cured if he wrote a new one to correct it. The poet rubbed at his own short-sighted eyes. And so it was, he wrapped up his tale, and so both Leonymus and Stesichorus were healed. And Leonymus had a shrine to Achilles built on White Island. And there it still stands, with statues of Achilles and his eternal wife, Helen. Everyone drained their drinks, and the local called to the barman for more. It's a pretty story, he said as the cups were filled. But it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why build a temple on the island to Achilles if it was Ajax who healed him? And why does Ajax care if Helen is insulted by a poem? It was Achilles who was brought to the island by his divine mother, and it was for Achilles that the others came, said the poet. And it is about the power of poetry. Poets are always very keen on talking about the power of poetry, scoffed the third traveller. And why are so many poets in stories blind? It's a good career for someone who can't see well, like myself, said the poet. Though I don't think I have offended any divine heroes or heroines lately, so I don't know what's caused it or how to cure it. He drained his cup and called for another. That song is only a work in progress, as you know, he added. I think it's a good story and will make a good song, said the second traveller, feeling a bit sorry for him. But it's not accurate. I've been to White Island, and I know the spirits that live there. Achilles is there, as you say. But his eternal love is not Helen, it's Patroclus. You've been there, said the local, impressed. When? I'm a sailor, I've sailed past the island many times, said the second traveller. But there was only one time that we went on the island itself, and that's how I know the spirits who live there, near to the temple our friend here mentioned. Won't you tell us about it, said the poet. All right, said the sailor, buy me another drink and I'll tell you what happened. We were sailing from albia to byzantium when we were blown off course towards the white island the winds were not working for us so we decided to anchor near the island take some shore leave and pray for better winds the next day as we got nearer to the island we realized we could hear singing some of the men panicked thinking they were hearing the sounds of sirens and that we were all doomed but i went to the prow of the ship and strained my ears to listen to the words of the song I can't remember all of it exactly now, but the singer was talking about how he was playing the lyre for his lover, and he was also praising the great poet Homer for the songs he sang of the Trojan War. I do remember a few lines of it. Sing to me, divine Homer, through whom I did not die, through whom Patroclus is mine, equal to the immortals. The wind got up again, and we started to get thrown around on the waves. I looked up at the mast, and I could see the outline of a figure, the shadow of a man, looking down on us from the top of the mast. It was Achilles himself. How did you know it was Achilles? interrupted the local. How do you know what he looks like? He looks like his statues, obviously, said the sailor. And he came to save us. He guided us to a safe harbour just offshore. While the sun shines, come and make your thank offering in my temple, the divine Achilles said. But you must not sleep on the sacred island. You must be back aboard your ship by nightfall. What happens if you aren't back on the ship by nightfall? asked the poet. I don't know, said the sailor. I'm not some idiot mythological hero who can't follow a simple instruction. We didn't ask. We just made sure we were back on the ship like he said. Orpheus wasn't an idiot, said the poet huffily. He simply could not resist turning back to look upon his beloved. "'I was talking about Odysseus' crew,' said the sailor. A prophet tells you don't hunt the sacred cows, "'you don't hunt the sacred cows. "'That's why you should always make sure "'you have plentiful supplies of food before setting sail. "'But anyway, that's beside the point.' "'We were allowed on the island during the day, "'so we all went ashore to provide a thank-offering to Achilles. "'And we asked him, "'Oh, hero Achilles, greatest of all the Greeks, "'what shall we offer in thanks for our survival? "'We didn't bring any animals that we can spare "'for a whole burnt-offering.' And he told us that we would find all we needed on the island itself and disappeared right in front of our eyes. Most of the island was bare and rocky, but a little way in was a grove of trees. And in the middle of the grove, a temple built from the same white stone that gives the island its name. The third traveller opened his mouth to object that it was named after the birds, but decided it didn't really matter and shut it again. Inside the temple was a great bronze statue of Achilles, looking just like he did when he appeared on the mast, with his plumed helmet and youthful, beardless face. It had been dedicated by the people of Olbia who look after the island. There were offerings scattered all around, gold cups, gold rings and valuable gems of all kinds. I also saw lots of clay tablets dedicated by people from Olbia giving thanks to Achilles for his protection. Praying to him for help, and in one case an Albion sailor thanking him for rescuing them from pirates. And there were inscriptions around the temple walls, mostly to Achilles, but some also to his partner Patroclus, thanking him too for his assistance against the wind and the sea. Outside the temple, in the grove of trees, there were goats wandering freely around. We thought these must be what the great Achilles meant when he said we would find what we needed on the island, and we set about trying to catch one. But we didn't need to worry. One of the goats simply walked up to the altar and stood completely still, waiting for us to offer it up to the Lord of the White Island. We stayed at anchor that night, sleeping on the ship, of course. And while I was asleep, I dreamed that I saw Patroclus coming towards me. Sensing he was about to be interrupted, the sailor added, and I knew what he looked like from his image on vases and from the fact he and the great Lord Achilles walked towards me hand in hand. And Achilles faded away. "'But Patroclus drew his hand over my face and reassured me that all would be well "'and we would reach our destination safely. "'And when we awoke the next morning, the winds were in our favour "'and we were able to continue our journey. "'So you see,' said the sailor, wrapping up and looking thoroughly satisfied, "'I know that Achilles is living a life of eternal glory with Patroclus "'and not with Helen, because I have seen both with my own eyes.' "'It's a pretty story,' said the third traveller. "'But I have also been to White Island, and it was nothing like what you describe.' "'Are you calling me a liar?' demanded the sailor, putting up his fists. "'If you want a fight, you can have one outside right now. "'I've been a soldier for twenty-five years. I'll take you on,' said the third traveller. "'Friends, friends,' said the local. "'There's no need for this.' "'Absolutely not,' agreed the poet. "'We can all hear each other out, at least.' "'Sit down, my friend,' this was to the soldier, "'who had stood up ready to take the fight out into the summer evening twilight. "'Tell us your tale.' "'All right,' said the soldier reluctantly. "'If you'll buy both of us another drink.' "'That I can do,' said the poet, calling for the barman, "'while the soldier sat to tell his story.' "'We too were blown off course, "'as we were returning from a campaign against the barbarians,' the soldier explained. "'We too heard singing coming from the island.' I didn't catch the words, but the singing was not pleasant nor romantic, it was a chilling, eerie sound, and it struck terror into our hearts though we were all battle-hardened warriors. Then we heard something quite different, but a sound very familiar to us all. We could hear battle cries, and the sounds of the trampling of horses and the clash of weapons. I heard men screaming in agony as they died, and I heard cries of anger and of triumph they were speaking different languages, some Greek, some Trojan, some other languages from around the Euxine Sea, but I could understand them all, even though I can't speak most of them. I heard the great Achilles then himself. I heard him call, don't talk to me about ransom, don't make me speeches. Not one Trojan will keep his life, all must pay for the death of Patroclus. Pity the Trojans who come near my spear. Then the sound changed again and now we did not recognise it anymore. We heard great booming sounds like weaponized thunder, as if the gods themselves were attacking some poor souls. We heard the hungry swell of the water swallowing ships all around, and we saw the shadow images of very strange looking ships. Huge wooden ships with three great sails, enormous metal ships with spinning tops, and even long metal tube ships that rose up out of the water and sank down again. More and stranger languages were heard all around us, but whatever language they spoke, the cries of men were all the same. Anger, fear, pain and triumph. And a loud voice that seemed to echo around the whole world, yelling simply, Go fuck yourself! Finally, we saw the Lord Achilles himself, standing at our stern and warning our crew to shift anchor to stay out of the wind. He said nothing to us about sleep, but merely pointed in the direction of his temple. We had no wish to stay there any longer than we absolutely had to. We made our way to the temple as quickly as possible. We sacrificed one of the island's goats, just as my friend here described, and we left again immediately. The Lord Achilles must have been pleased because the wind changed and we were able to sail away before nightfall. The other three had been uncharacteristically silent during the soldier's story, whether they were captured by his words or just too drunk to object. When he finished, the poet solemnly raised his wine cup and said, to the fallen, and all drained their cups. I think, said the poet slowly, that the Lord Achilles appeared differently to each of you according to your own experience. To my sailor friend here, he gave clear instructions and showed his romantic side. Perhaps that was just his mood that day. For my soldier friend, he connected with his experience of battle and reached out to share their joint history and that of so many others. And for ancient Leonymus, he did what he wanted and healed his wound. Or Ajax did. That's very pretty, poet, said the local, but it still doesn't explain how Helen could be buried here and be married to Achilles on the White Island, or how Achilles could be married to both Helen and Patroclus. The poet smiled and called for another drink. Oh, my naive friend, he could quite easily be married to both Helen and Patroclus, he said. I would strongly recommend that you travel more and see the world a bit. As for the other, perhaps her mortal body is here and her divine spirit on the island. Just as Hercules was burned, but his divine aspect rose to Olympus. That works for me, said the sailor, and he offered his hand to the soldier, who silently shook it. I think the barman is closing up shop, said the local. There seems only one toast left to make. To Achilles, Lord of the White Island. To Achilles, they all called out, and drained their final cups. The end. Hi, uh, welcome back to Creepy Classics. Uh, My name's Juliet Harrison. And this is a every two months podcast, uh, looking at ghost stories from ancient medieval and early modern history, doing a modern retelling of them and then talking a bit about them. So this story is uh, the story of White Island, which is now called Snake Island. Uh, it is Ukrainian territory currently occupied by Russian forces. And it was in the news quite a lot recently recently because uh, it is the island where the Ukrainian defense forces told the Russians to go fuck yourselves, which is why that is quoted in the story. So I've used three main sources uh, for my version of this story and several other bits and pieces as well. Basically, this island is talked about in loads of ancient sources. I have not gone through every single one that mentions it. Um, I've drawn mostly from uh, Pausanias' description of Greece, uh, which is 2nd century CE, Arians' Periplus of the Euxine Sea, which is also 2nd century CE, and Philostratus on Heroes, which is 3rd century CE. Uh, none of my three versions correspond exactly to any of them. I've mixed up elements because I was aiming to create three kind of clearer, more distinct stories. Um, the few lines of poetry are from Philostratus. The first story that the poet tells is largely Pausanias's story. I've added a detail from uh, another story from somebody called Cunon's Narrations, uh, which is the same story with a different name for the lead character, but adds that he was attacked by the ghost, the Phasmatos of Ajax. So I just put that detail into Pausanias's version. And then the other two are mostly different versions from Philostratus, because Philostratus gives a few different kind of stories about the island Um, so I've kind of split them into two clear and distinct uh, descriptions and then I've added details from Arian throughout um, the Philostratus (laughs) versions and the few lines of poetry are from the Philostratus version and I've edited them to reinforce the point I was trying to make about Patroclus so I did take some lines out. The uke scene is the Black Sea. That's the Uxine Sea. The Ister, that's mentioned a couple of times is the Danube River. Uh, and as I said, White Island is Snake Island. Olbia is an archaeological site in Ukraine. It was an ancient port um, on the, the coast of what is now southern Ukraine. I've deliberately avoided setting it in a particular time period because what we're looking at here is folklore um pausanias was writing a description of greece but he didn't go anywhere near the black sea Um, he's writing a description of uh somewhere in spartan territory um the the place that the framing device i've done is set um near a shrine to menelaus and he just kind of from there tells these various other stories but pausanias whether he's been to white island or not i don't know um but he certainly didn't go there as part of the description of greece it's not part of the main geographical description so he's probably not seen it himself which might be why he thinks it's thickly wooded Uh, unless it just had more trees at that time Uh, it doesn't have any trees now (laughs) if you have a look at photos of it arian was writing a description of the coast of the black sea uh, so he may have been a bit more familiar with it philostratus is writing stories of heroes and connecting stories of heroes to the worship of heroes in hero cult so they're all dealing with folklore, centuries old folklore. Um, so I didn't set it in a particular time. They all come from the Roman period. Um, basically, I've just been super, super vague. <laughs> so the soldier, he's, he's been fighting barbarians. I've not specified who or when or why. There were Greek colonies all around the Black Sea during the classical period. By the second century CE, the Romans had conquered most of its coast. Uh, and that's the period these writers are actually living in. Um the reference to you know having a gap in the front line, I mean, if this is very, very old Greek folklore um, in the classical period, centuries before the Romans, uh, the Greeks fought hoplite warfare, which relies on having a front line that is unbroken. If somebody leaves the front line, the whole line collapses because everybody kind of lines up against each other and then they, they sort of shove at each other and try and poke each other with spears over the top of their shields. Um, so having a gap in the front line makes no sense whatsoever, uh, which is why I had the soldier object to that. Um, I'm assuming that this legend has grown up at a point where hot warfare is the norm and it would be very odd. Um, presumably that's why in, in Conan's version, um, the gap is in fact filled by the ghost of Ajax. So there isn't a gap. There's literally Ajax in there. I've also obviously quoted Christopher Marlowe's uh, Dr Faustus, <laughs> Was this the face that launched a thousand ships and burnt the top of Stars William uh, which is also quoted numerous times in Shakespeare and Love, um, which Terry Pratchett pulled apart in his book Eric, um, where his Discworld version of Helen of Troy is in fact just kind of mediocre looking um, and also 20 years older by the time the heroes meet her. Uh, And then obviously, I did also quote the Ukrainian defense forces from February 2022. And I've included references to the later history of the island in the kind of military section. Um, Basically, sounds of cannons, ships sinking, submarines, um, all that kind of thing that belongs to the island's later history. If you have a look at the Wikipedia page on the island, um, it has been the site of quite a lot of military activity over the years. I had patroclus appear in a dream this is something arian says happens to people near the island that they see achilles and or patroclus in dreams ghosts in dreams is really common i wrote about it in my 2013 book dreams and dreaming in the roman empire Uh, it comes up a lot in both greek and roman literature uh, ancient literature Uh, patroclus famously appears to achilles in a dream after his death in homer's iliad And I actually covered that story in the second episode of this podcast. So I'm not going to talk about it at length now because I've already done so. um, But do go dig up uh, the episode on Achilles and Patroclus for lots more details on Patroclus and Achilles and Homer and the Iliad and dreams. Uh, Recent photos of White Island or Snake Island show it looking pretty bare. But there's a French description from 1824, which describes walls of large, roughly finished limestone blocks, which are presumably the remnants of the temple. Um, All the sources agree that there's a temple to Achilles on the island. So there's no reason to imagine that those walls were anything other than that unfortunately by the 1840s uh, the remains of the temple had been completely destroyed presumably the stone was reused and a lighthouse had been built and then the lighthouse was destroyed later in the 19th century uh, various finds have been made though uh, including the base of a statue dedicated to Achilles from an Olbian citizen and a public decree from Olbia to erect a statue to someone who defeated some pirates so basically it seems that Olbia which is this port town in what's now Ukraine, was responsible for looking after White Island, and the citizens of Olbia were responsible for the care of the temple on White Island. There are coins there from all over, so it's probably been visited by people from all over the ancient world. Uh, clay tablets are also common finds at sites dedicated to Achilles, and Achilles was also worshipped in Olbia. So basically, people are coming to the island from all over the place um, to worship Achilles. They're also presumably getting blown there um, on ships, uh. From all over the place as well um but it's cared for and maintained by the people from olbia uh, arian talks about birds sprinkling the temple with water so i sort of used that to um find a way to talk about there being trees which a couple of the ancient sources say there are on the island there may well have been in the ancient period and um, there definitely aren't any trees now uh, the ancient sources make no mention of snakes interestingly um yeah, currently, it's called Snake Island, uh, I assume, because there are a lot of snakes on it. Um, none of the ancient sources mention snakes, they're just really into talking about the birds. So, the temple to Achilles on the island was an example of hero cult. So, hero cult is the worship of heroes from uh, ancient mythology, heroes who are mortal or semi divine, like Achilles, who has a, a goddess mother and a human father. Uh, or mortal heroes who are worshipped after their death and become objects of cult. Um, And there were some small differences uh, in the worship of heroes versus the worship of Olympian deities and kind of the the major gods. One of the differences is that hero cult um, more often involved the whole, the burning of the whole sacrifice, so when you sacrifice an animal to a deity, uh, you burn the bones and fat and the meat is eaten by the people as part of a festival or celebration, but sometimes they offered um, what was called a a holocaust, that's the original meaning of the word, is a a whole burnt offering. Um, And sometimes the the whole animal would be burned and you wouldn't eat any of it, Um, and that was uh, sometimes done in the case of hero cult. Ancient animal sacrifice took place at an altar outside of the temple, but within the sacred precinct. So there would be an area marked out as sacred. The temple would be in the middle of it, and then the altar would be outside the temple. Um, you, you're killing animals, there's blood, <laughs> so, You know, it's messy business, you do it outside, not inside. Inside the temple you keep offerings to the deity, so things people have brought to dedicate to the deity or hero or whatever, and the cult statue. So whether there was a statue just of Achilles or of Achilles and Helen, accounts vary. Uh, But there would have been a statue, and as I say, we have found uh, an inscription from the base of a statue of Achilles um, on the island. There are a lot of different versions of the story of Helen of Troy and the Trojan War. So many different versions um, of Helen's story. Um, In several versions, she never went to Troy. A shadow Helen got taken to Troy, and Helen herself was actually in Egypt the whole time. Uh, And Philostratus includes this version, so that's why I put that version in this story. It basically sort of absolves Helen of any guilt for running off with Paris and causing a war. Um, All four of the warriors I've named were suitors. So in the story... Um, Helen's most beautiful woman in the world. Loads of men want to marry her. Um, and they make an agreement that whichever one of them eventually gets to marry her, the others will defend his right to be her husband and they will not try and take her or whatever. So Menelaus ends up married to Helen and then when Helen is abducted or runs off with Paris, depending on the story, um, all of the men who had wanted to marry her because they've made this oath to uphold her eventual marriage have to go and fight the war with Menelaus. And that is the reason most of the heroes um, go and fight in the Trojan War, including uh, Odysseus and all four of the ones named here, the two Ajaxes, Patroclus and Tilochus. However, Agamemnon was already married and Achilles was too young. So Agamemnon fights because he's Menelaus' brother and Achilles fights for eternal glory. Uh, Patroclus and Andilochus both died in the Trojan War. Greater Ajax died by suicide toward the end of the war and Lesser Ajax was shipwrecked and had annoyed Athena and Poseidon and therefore was killed in the shipwreck. Uh, Clasping someone's knees is a way of imploring someone to do something that appears throughout kind of ancient history. And of course, there there was a reference in there to the sirens from the Odyssey, uh, the bird women who sing beautiful songs and lure sailors to their deaths on the rocks. And Odysseus gets himself tied to the mast so he can hear the song and all the men have things in their ears that don't hear it. Uh, There's also lots of blind poets in ancient mythology. Homer describes uh, a blind poet and then a tradition grew up that Homer himself was blind. Who knows whether that's true or not. Um, I have made the assumption that this is partly because if you have eyesight problems, um, being a poet is probably quite a good job uh, because it doesn't rely on your eyesight, Um, which is possibly why that's such a common trope. Um, Who knows? (laughs) So I haven't actually talked about ghosts very much in all of that. Basically, um, this story is really more about kind of hero cult. It's got ghosts in it. It's got the ghost of Ajax um, taking his place in the line. And really, White Island is more of an afterlife. So these are um, spirits of the dead. Um but it's more that... So the story is that Thetis has taken Achilles' soul to this island after he's killed and then his various companions join him. So it's it's really more of a kind of bespoke afterlife for Achilles and people close to him. Um, and they're all just kind of chilling out on this island um, and helping out sailors and people who get shipwrecked or attacked by pirates. Um, there were actually... Uh, cults uh, cult sites dedicated to Achilles uh, all over the place hero cult is usually fairly local and specific like the shrine to Menelaus mentioned in the um in the story um at the site at Therapne where Pausanias um is actually describing when he gets distracted and talks about White Island um, and that's more common for hero cult a local site to a local hero but there are sites to Achilles in quite a few different places um, he seems to have been kind of worshipped a bit more by all Greeks um, rather than being very local. Um, and yeah, this this appears to be a story about kind of the divine afterlife of, of some of these heroes. Um, but there are different kind of variants of it. you know, Philostratus in the same text describes you know a romantic version where he's married to Helen, a romantic version where he's hanging out with Patroclus. Um, and a kind of much more sinister version where people hear the sounds of battle and um, the clash of weapons and the trampling of horses. So there seem to have been a lot of different stories about it. And really the the main thing they have in common is that there's a temple to Achilles on the island and that Achilles' spirit is somehow present there. Um, And it was a story that I wanted to tackle. I was looking... do something with kind of variants in folklore um, stories that you end up with a lot of different versions because this happens all the time um, in ancient mythology ancient mythology and ancient religion is not about having one text that that's the story and in the period these authors were writing second and third century ce there's loads of writers who say you know homer was wrong homer got this wrong homer got this wrong homer got this wrong So Homer's the closest you have to a kind of canonical text, but there are loads of versions that contradict what Homer says uh, in his Iliad and Odyssey. He's just the earliest really. Um, There's always different versions of stories about ancient heroes and ancient gods um, and local stories that contradict each other and I was kind of looking to do something with those contradictions and play with different people having different versions of the story. And then when I was digging through Pausanias and realized that White Island was Snake Island, um, I thought uh, this was a good opportunity um, to tell a story about that island uh, since it has obviously been in the news quite a bit. And I would like to dedicate this episode um, to the Ukrainian Defense Forces. Um, And yeah, just kind of thoughts are with them. If you would like to read more about this story and about some of the sources on White Island, uh, the sources are available online. So Philostratus on Heroes is available at a uh, Harvard University uh, website. Um, it's been archived, but if you have a bit of a Google, you'll, you'll find it. Um, there's a French translation of Arian at remarque.org um, and of Conan as well, or Arian is available in English at Wikisource. Pausanias is available at theoi.com, and the Iliad at poetryandtranslation.com, and I always recommend poetryandtranslation.com wherever there's an available translation there because they're very good translations. The University of Warwick has a page on the shrine to Menelaus at Therapne. Again, if you if you Google University of Warwick Therapne and Menelaus, you'll find it. Uh, There's a blog post: "You will never visit Snake Island" from the Classical Studies blog which was written uh, back in February when the island was in the news and um, which has uh, quite a bit of information about the island. And if you have access to academic journals on JSTOR, there were two uh, articles in particular that I used um, for this piece. Uh, the Cult of Achilles in the Euxine" by Guy Hadreen in the Journal of the American School of Classical Studies at Athens and The Cults of Achilles by J.T. Hooker, uh, from uh, Rheinisch's Museum für Philologie Neue Folge. Uh, those are both available uh, via JSTOR. So uh, I will be back at the end of August with another episode. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, virtually see you all again soon. <laughs> Creepy Classics is written and performed by Juliet Harrison. Music by Ed Harrison. With vocals by Olivia Knopps. It is produced by Juliet Harrison with assistance from Newman University.